At the risk of immodesty, our last show received such favorable reviews that it was suggested that we have an additional part two. Well, that's certainly flattering and delightful. However, I will resist the temptation to call it a crowning achievement. <laughs> I'm Dr. Alan Campbell, and this is Watching America. All my life, watching America. All my life, it's in America. From WHRV Norfolk, this is Watching America. The Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she doesn't have a lot to say. The Majesty's a pretty nice girl, but she changes from day to day. I want to tell her that I love her a lot, but I gotta get a belly full of wine. The Majesty's a pretty nice girl, someday I'm gonna make a mine, oh yeah, someday I'm gonna make a mine. That little ditty performed by Paul McCartney is entitled Her Majesty. It was recorded July 2nd, 1969, and at that point Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II had been reigning for 17 years. How very unlikely it would be that the future Sir Paul McCartney would ever have considered that she still would be reigning 52 years later. In total, as of this episode of Watching America, 69 years. This is part two of a two-part series looking at the royal family. To do this effectively, we thought the best method was to have an American come in and perhaps ask me questions, as a Brit, regarding the royal family, its high points, its low points, and debatable points. We could think of no better candidate than our own senior producer for the series, Gina Gamboni. Hello. Tell us who you represent for the continuation of part two of this investigation and consideration of the British royal family. I am representing the average American person right now. We've got to touch on this, Alan, which is the the schism that's happening in the royal family right now. I don't read all of the uh, the gossip pages about about it, but it's widespread enough, including in media in the United States that I know about it. What's your take on on that? Okay, well, first of all, you have to go back to history, okay? So bear with me for a moment, and I'm going to walk us through this real fast. Okay, Okay. Okay. gentlemen, thank you for listening. (laughs) Most Americans are familiar with Queen Victoria, okay? So she reigned from 1839 to 1901. Then she had a son called Edward VII. He was known as Bertie. He was a great womanizer, okay? Now, there used to be an old king called Edward the Confessor, all right? But this one they called Edward the Caressa because he was always caressing women and touching them and what have you. And he had multiple affairs with Sarah Bernhardt, the actress. Lily oh, my Langtree, goodness. Even Jenny uh, Churchill, believe it or not. So um, he was all over the place and quite a playboy. But then he eventually died after only nine years. And then George V was from 1910 to 1936. He had a son called Edward VIII. Now, this is where you've got to listen. Edward VIII was the one who abdicated because he got involved with an American lady called Wallace Simpson. Now, this was a constitutional crisis in Britain. Here's why. After Henry VIII, he broke away from the Catholic Church, some would say for all the wrong reasons, not based necessarily on theology, but convenience. He couldn't get an annulment for his uh, marriage, and so he was ticked at the Pope. And so he said, fine, I'll be my own Pope, I'll break away. And he started the Church of England, which is also known as Anglicanism and is also in America, the offshoot of that is Episcopalian Church. So it all goes back originally to Henry VIII. So Henry... Wow. Yeah. Okay. And Henry VIII, who is horrible. Well, yeah. I mean, he was was very uh, petulant and capricious and moody and... um, an interesting person, if you've ever heard the tune Green Sleeves, he wrote that. Uh, Wait, did he, is he the one who beheaded all the women? He beheaded two, only two. Don't be, don't be on Oh, just two. Okay, okay. The other four he let live. Okay. Oh, what so, a nice guy. Yeah, 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 he's, yeah, yeah, he has a soft heart somewhere. <laughs> okay, so anyway, but Henry VIII, so um, uh, going back to the whole issue, I don't know how we got on Henry VIII. Well, anyway, we'll get back. So Edward VIII, forget Henry, Edward VIII 
abdicated because he fell in love with a woman called Wallace Simpson. Wallace Simpson was a socialite from Baltimore, and some people say that she was a bit of a social climber. I don't know. I won't make a, a, a judgment there. But she'd been married twice and divorced, okay? Now she meets Edward VIII, and uh, he is now going to be king, and technically is king, but now he's seen gallivanting around with this woman, Wallace Simpson, and then the royal court is very concerned, and they say, look, you, oh, I know how I got into it. The, Henry VIII is the, was the first head of the Church of England, okay? So every monarch after the him has always been the head of the Church of England, which is a Christian church. So if you have Edward VIII now, who's just come to power, all right, and he's the, the head of the Church of England and married— And he's gallivanting around with— Women, uh, yeah, even though, you know, um, certainly knows— Wait, is he married? No, he's not married. Okay, okay, but so he's, he's just gallivanting around. But he marries this American, and a lot of people mistakenly thought, oh, they object to him marrying an American. No, it wasn't the fact that she was an American. It was that she was a twice divorcee. And so that would, you know, fly in the face of what's supposed to happen in the Christian church where the ideal is you don't get divorced— and so they basically said, look, our constitution dictates if you're the head of the Church of England, you have to make a choice. Either you can be the head of the Church of England and marry somebody else who's never been married before, or I'm very sorry, sir, you're going to have to abdicate. And so he made a famous... Abdicate, abdicate from the Church of England and from the crown? Yes. Uh, well, he w uh, technically he could be a member of the Church of England, but he couldn't be the leader of the Church of England, technically, and he'd have to abdicate from the crown. So he okay. made a very famous speech, which we're going to play now. Okay, here it is. This is Ooh. King Edward VIII abdicating and explaining that he found it impossible to fulfill his duties without being with the woman, as he put it, I love. And uh, <laughs> here we go. We're going to play an excerpt from it now. At long last, I am able to say a few words of my own. A few hours ago, I discharged my last duty as king and emperor. You all know the reasons which have impelled me to renounce the throne. But you must believe me when I tell you that I have found it impossible to carry the heavy burden of responsibility without the help and support of the woman I love. So. People were just absolutely gobsmacked when that happened. It's like, oh, no. Now, that changed the fate for Queen Elizabeth. Because, you see, once he stepped down, and it was always assumed he'd be king, Edward VIII, once he stepped down, his brother had to take over. And his brother was the man depicted in the, in the king's speech who could not speak well. So now thrown in his lap is that which he never wanted. He hated to be on display King George VI. He never wanted to have attention. He loved his wife so much. Uh, she was a Scot, and he loved her so much and just l adored his girls. And they used to talk about we four. They were a very tight-knit bunch. So that was uh, King George VI, his wife the Queen, and Elizabeth the Princess, who became the Princess, and her younger sister, Margaret. Now let's play a little excerpt. This is the Queen as a young girl talking to the children of England and the United States. This clip was to thank the people of the United States for taking children in during World War II when bombs were dropping all over Britain. Listeners in the United States of America, Her Royal Highness Princess Elizabeth. I feel that I am speaking to friends and companions. Thousands of you have had to leave your homes and be separated from your fathers and mothers. My sister, Margaret, and I feel so much for you as we know from experience what it means to be away from those we love most of all. We would like to thank the kind people who have welcomed you to their homes. We know, every one of us, that in the end all will be well, for God will care for us and give us victory and peace. So... Um, uh, you know, this... That, that's so interesting. So, it, it, and just, just to go back, so Elizabeth, who is the Her Majesty, the Queen of mm -hmm. England now, yes, she was actually never in line prior to uh, Richard yeah. abdicating uh, Edward, Edward, yeah. one of those, yeah. yes. Yeah. Right. Um, and right. I mean, it was never in, in her father's dream she thought this, but she rose to the occasion. 
And so there on, you know, when her father died in 1952, um, she took on the role and um, she vowed that whether her life was short or long, and it's certainly proven to be long, that she would do everything in her power to serve her people and fulfill her duties. And by now, do any gosh, of the children, any of the children of Albert, is that the one who abdicated? Edward, 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 Edward the Eighth. Okay, Edward the Eighth, who abdicated. Um, have any of his children tried to make claim to the the throne or anything? Because no, he didn't have children. Ah, yes, okay. And she could, and, and Wallace Simpson couldn't have children. They went to live in in. I'll tell you what happened. Once he uh, gave up the throne, Edward the Eighth in 1936 uh, to marry Wallace Simpson. Um, they he became a governor of the Bahamas for five years from 1940 to 1945. And then in 1945, he gave that up. And it was a real come down in, in, you know, he could have been king of all these, you know, endless nations. Uh, and he gave that up. So he became the governor of the Bahamas with no disrespect, rather small islands and lovely islands as they are. I've been there. But um, he gave that up. And then after five years, moved to Paris and they basically lived in exile there. And uh, they were known as the Duke and Duchess of Windsor. And um, so he was given that title at least. And they today are both buried in Frogmore, which is the very place Her Majesty the Queen, when she dies, her husband, Prince Philip, who currently, shall I say, resides, his body is in uh, the Chapel of St. George, will be exhumed and then taken with Queen Elizabeth. Okay. So now coming to modern day, mm -hmm. we have the kerfuffle with Prince Harry. Yes. And now he's not in line for the throne. No, not at all. And that explains but, something that... Or he's way low. He's low on the... He, he's in some line. I mean, well, but he's yeah, low well, I mean, uh, in he the was, order. He's a grandchild of, of the monarch, but he wasn't... Okay, the, the one who is next in line, so you have... Okay, so Elizabeth, she has the four children. Her firstborn is a male, Charles, Prince Charles today. He has waited an awful long time to become king, longer than most, and I, I suspect he won't have a very long reign simply because of years. Now, you've got to bear in mind that the Queen's mother, who was originally married to King George VI, she lived to be 101. So our Queen currently could live to be 101. I presume right. maybe possibly 102, but she comes from a long lineage. And even right. if you look at um, uh, Prince Philip, he lived to be, as we know, 99. He was only eight weeks short of living 100 to 100 years. Right. So anyway, Prince, Prince William uh, is Diana's child with uh, Prince Charles. And they had William and they also had uh, Harry. Basically, um, Harry, he's off to the side, and Prince William has a child. Uh, he married Kate Middleton, and they're known as the Duke and Duchess of Cambridge. And they have Prince George and a Princess Charlotte. So uh, Prince George will also become king. He's in line. Now, they've changed it, by the way, that it now will go to the firstborn. In the future, if, for instance, Prince George was to have uh, a daughter, then she would not be superseded by a later coming brother, whoever the first child is now from here on. Oh, oh well, that's really interesting. Yeah, they've that's... changed that. They've changed it. Yeah, completely. That That's super interesting. I didn't know they had changed it. Can we just go back uh, to Edward for a minute? Okay. Yes. One yes. of the other things, which is, is a bit of a scandal, is that Edward, Edward VIII, who abdicated, once he abdicated, he started to hobnob with Wallace Simpson with very um, unsavory people, such as Adolf Hitler. He went and met Adolf Hitler with Wallace Simpson in 1937, and he seemed to be quite taken with some aspects of Nazism. So that oh, my was, goodness. Yeah. So it's like, uh, hello, say what? What's going on here? So needless to say, um, Winston Churchill was not very happy about that association. Um, the Queen herself, I'll just share a couple of things with you that uh, you need to know. She has no authority. She pays taxes now. Uh, she formally didn't. But the, the royal family keeps evolving. And so now she decided to pay taxes. And she has multiple homes. And can we briefly talk about the multiple homes? Yes, of course. Okay. Buckingham Palace is the one that everybody knows, that, that everybody sees. Um, it's been estimated that if you were to take the building itself and all the contents, it's worth $2.7 billion. Uh, it's in the west end of London, uh, or the west side of London, I should say. And there's a main road that goes and leads to the Buckingham Palace, and it's called the Mall. 
And um, so you, not the mall, but the mall. And it leads to the house that Queen Victoria used to live in, Buckingham Palace. That is owned by the crown, which means Queen Elizabeth does not own it, but she gets to live there. Uh, then Windsor Castle is where the Queen really loves to be, and that's in the town of Windsor, which is not far from London. You can actually take a train ride. It would take you about maybe, oh, I don't know, 30 minutes or so to get out there. Uh, and I've taken many students with me when I've gone abroad. And then there is, in Scotland, uh, she has a palace called the Palace of Holyrood House, and uh, that's where Mary Queen of Scots was married twice, incidentally. And then there's another crown possession called Hillsborough Castle, which is in Northern Ireland. Now, the Queen also has private homes. So her private home in the county of Norfolk, which for where this program emanates from, will have a ring to it. In Norfolk, she has a home called Sandringham, Sandringham House, and she loves to go there at Christmas time. Now, every Christmas, she does an address to the world, speaking from Sandringham House. Here we go. Every year, we herald the coming of Christmas by turning on the lights. People of all faiths have been unable to gather as they would wish for their festivals, such as Passover, Easter, Eid, and Visaki. Last month, fireworks lit up the sky around Windsor as Hindus, Sikhs, and Jains celebrated Diwali, the Festival of Lights. Providing joyous moments of hope and unity, Jesus touched on this with the parable of the Good Samaritan. The man who is robbed and left at the roadside is saved by someone who did not share his religion or culture. This wonderful story of kindness is still as relevant today. Good Samaritans have emerged across society, showing care and respect for all, regardless of gender, race, and background, reminding us that each one of us is special and equal in the eyes of God. The teachings of Christ have served as my inner light. It is in that spirit that I wish you a very happy Christmas. Okay, that was just a short excerpt. But you can see the Queen addresses the world, and um, it's every Christmas Day. It's part of the tradition of people in Canada and Australia and New Zealand um, to to turn on the telly and you watch the Queen as you're having your own Christmas Day as well. And then she has an estate in Scotland called Balmoral Castle, which is in Aberdeenshire, or Aberdeenshire if you prefer, Scotland. And she goes there every August, which is good news for Americans. Let me tell you why. Every August, Buckingham Palace is opened up to the public. And so if you're there in August, the Queen is not there. She is up in her private residence in Balmoral. And so they decided to open it up to the public. And anyone who would like to see Buckingham Palace inside, I've gone with Americans and they're absolutely awestruck with, uh, with the palace. And I've been to the White House. I'm happy to say, but you, with no disrespect to my, my adopted country of the United States of America, you could literally put the White House in a corner of Buckingham Palace. Um, <laughs> to, yeah, it's just just, <laughs> just explain the, the difference of scale. Um, and then there's, there's, there's other homes too. If you want to know if the Queen is anywhere you visit, for instance, I've been to um, Windsor Castle, and if the Queen is resident you will find that she has a particular flag, and it's called the Royal Standard, and it has the symbols of Northern Ireland, the symbols of Wales, Scotland, and England. But when she's not there, you have the Union flag, uh, which will hang above either Buckingham Palace or Windsor Castle. And she typically goes to Windsor Castle on the weekends. So if you're ever in London on the weekend and you go to Buckingham Palace, she's probably not there. She's always away, usually on the weekends. Okay, now, Alan, to, to wrap up this very, very thorough, but also I know we're only just touching the tip of the iceberg here. Yes, we are. <laughs> uh, I mean, this this could be a, a major PBS series. In fact, I bet they have one. But regarding what's going on right now okay, yeah. uh, with Prince Harry, yes, that's okay. something I'm, I'm really curious about. All right. I th- you know, I'm going to give little... it to you straight. I don't okay. think in my decades on this planet, I have seen any more excitement and goodwill directed to anybody coming into the royal family than was directed to Meghan Markle. Everybody was thrilled, Uh, not only because she seemed very gracious and lovely. She's beautiful. We did a show. I don't know if you remember. I started a show uh, a couple of years ago we did on romance and I think marriage. And I began with with, uh, Meghan Markle and I described how this beautiful princess was coming down. 
both in the British media and um, in in papers uh, and print, there wasn't anything derogatory, nasty said. I think, actually, frankly, everybody was rejoicing at the... Now, wait, 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 wait. I know there was... There, some of the tabloids, the British tabloids, are cruel. They can be cruel, yes, but it didn't happen b- before at all. In fact, uh, in fact, if you look at it, the... Uh, accusations, they don't add up, and, and you can look at it historically. So let me just okay. finish what I'm going on with here. I'm not, okay. you know, I'm not right. trying to uh, make light of, of, of anything and make everyone look to be glistening wonderful, but I'm just telling you the truth. There was such excitement. Now, we have, for instance, what we call in England coronation wear, which is China you buy, and, you know, it has images of, the, of a new monarch or whoever and for weddings and what have you. And everyone was thrilled with Megan. And I think, frankly, they thought this is going to be a breath of fresh air. How cool, how neat. Here's a, a girl from Los Angeles, uh, an actress, and it would be great. So an American, great, because there's a great love and affinity for America. So the wedding could not have been better. Uh, it was a glorious event, and everyone was thrilled with it. Everybody loved Harry. Um, and then things started to turn a bit sour. Um, because, uh, first of all, from the British perspective, suddenly he says he's going to go to Canada and he wants, uh, and, and that the two of them don't want to have royal responsibilities anymore and they want to go to Canada. I immediately said to my wife, Christine, I said, you know what? I think this is logically an intermediate step getting to Los Angeles because I bet she'll, she'll want to live in Los Angeles. And so that's sure enough, that's what happened. So they went from, uh, London or Britain saying they want to be in Canada then they were upset because Canada would not flip the bill for their security and uh, Canada said uh, you know well you know it's very nice you want to live here and we recognize you as royals but you've made the decision we cannot take Canadian taxpayers money to keep guards around you all the time if you were here on an official visit of for the royal family that's different but you're deciding to live here so there was a lot to do, and even Harry made of it in the Oprah interview uh, that you know that he didn't feel he had security. Well, if you step down from a job, you're not going to have that security. For instance, um, in Britain, it's actually handled. The security is handled by what's called the Metropolitan Police. That requires about for each member of the royal family, it can require 14 individual officers to to guard a member of the royal family. If Harry decides. He wants to live in Canada. Okay, so what is he expecting now? 14 officers to come from Britain to live in Canada because he wants to live in Canada. Plus, you have to put housing up for their wives, spouses, and children. And that's a mammoth amount of money. So he said during the Oprah interview, he said, I had no money um, for security. Uh, We had to do it ourselves. Well, excuse me. He inherited $13 million from his uh, pounds. Uh, rather, from his mother, Diana. And indeed, if, if you and I decide we're going to go and live somewhere, we can't expect other people to pay for it. So all of the security would have been there, and was there, I might add, for both he and Megan. But there's that old thing of wanting your cake and wanting to eat it too, you know, wanting to eat your cake and have it too, and you can't. Uh, <laughs> so, you know, uh, and and so that's 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 what's going on here. So I some... mean, how do, you, how do you think the royal family is feeling about this, about this situation? I wonder how the queen feels about it. I wonder how, if it's a big deal, or is this just kind of like another situation like uh, like what happened with Edward, Albert, George, Edward, Edward the Eighth, <laughs> Edward the Eighth. Yes, is it just another one of these kind of situations where one of the royals who I understand that the royals, it's not just oh I'm a princess, I'm a prince. They do have these responsibilities, um, and and that one just kind of flies out of the coop. And is it something like that, or is this a big deal? Is this a destruction of the royal family? Um, I will, what, what does this mean? I think Gina. Uh, and I obviously am of no right to speak for the royal family, but I think the general perception is is that the royal family feel betrayed and uh, uh, I, I might even go so far as to say kicked in the teeth, uh, not just by, by uh, Meghan, but also by Harry. I heard a commentator in Australia say this, who obviously the, the Australians follow the royal family, 
And a commentator said, he said, it seems to us that Harry and Meghan have exchanged royalty for royalties, plural. In other words, you know, dividends and money coming in from the like of Netflix and what right. have you. Right, right. And, and I think the feeling is like, okay, the Queen was very gracious. She said, okay, if you want to step down, um, all right. And that was a sadness to, to the people of Britain. Um, Harry and William were exceptionally close. And now uh, uh, it's not got anything to do with her ethnicity or race. It's just a wife coming into the situation. And now, you know, nobody anticipated that they were going to go and live in America. Now they're free agents. They can do that if they want to. But then don't kick the institution. And I think they feel that the institution was uh, maligned by the Oprah in interview. Um, you know, Oprah Winfrey, I, I used to work with Gail King of the CBS Morning News. Our desks were next to each other. And I, I occasionally would speak to Oprah, a very, very nice woman. But she has a curious relationship. For instance, Meghan Markle didn't know Oprah. And yet she invited Oprah to the royal wedding. She didn't know George Clooney. But she invited George Clooney to the royal wedding. Well, as many commentators have pointed out, in Canada and Australia and Britain, all these people she didn't know in high positions of power are invited, but her own family is kept at bay. She has siblings that were never invited. Uh, her, her own father has not seen his grandchild uh, at all after all this time. And so it's, it's a curious thing, and some people will say that she had a foreknowledge or intention of of bringing Harry away from the royal family uh, and into a new life in Hollywood. And it, there's something sad, I think, about seeing a, a prince, as is on videotape, speaking to the head of Disney and trying to pitch his wife to do voiceovers. And it's just like, what? what what's going on? So I think we're shocked i think british people are shocked and it's got nothing to do with her background i mean she was very very well received in that regard and there's a series of things in the interview that don't add up i'll just put it that way um some people have counted as many as 17 things that don't make any sense whatsoever uh and one of the things is for instance she claimed she had no formal training for the position well that's flatly not true samantha cohen was actually hired to train her about um, uh, royal protocol. Uh, the Queen herself offered her two hours of, if you will, I'll just use my term, a master class of, of how to adjust to being in the royal family. Um, and yet she claimed she knew nothing about the royal family, but she, she hired Edmund Frey in Los Angeles, in California, to, to help her with how to handle the royal family. She's, she claimed in the interview with Oprah that she had no knowledge of the royal family. She didn't know who Harry was. And yet there's pictures of her outside Buckingham Palace with her best friend. She read Diana's biography, it turns out. Um, she, she had magazines she held up that uh, in pictures. She has magazines of, about the royal family. How can you go on and talk to Oprah and say you had no idea about the royal family or who any of these people are when there is... Absolute photographs that deny that testimony, which make it completely false. Another thing that people are at least looking at spuriously, she claims that she had mental health issues and that everyone was indifferent and that nobody cared and that she had no help. Well, it's a very curious thing that if on the one hand we're being told that she couldn't get help because the royal family would be embarrassed by it, when Harry's been very open about the fact that he went for counseling and mental help, and not only that, part of his, his royal uh, patronages or charities have been deeply involved with mental health. So are we to believe that Harry was so indifferent to his own wife that he didn't even seek help for her? So a lot of things are not adding up, and it's not a singular viewpoint just coming from Britain. It's coming from New Zealand and other countries are saying like, Wait a minute, this, this, this doesn't sound right. You know, Alan, I, I have to say, I can feel the, the, um, the hurt in your voice yes. about this situation. And I, and I think that's, that's kind of the feeling I've received myself from what I've, what I've seen. The limited amount of information I've seen about it is the kind of feeling of, um, sure, you might be angry, someone might be angry, and they might say something mean at, at this point directed toward Harry and Meghan. Um, but it seems that it's it's a lot of sadness, perhaps a feeling of betrayal. I, I think the key word would be sadness, 
because there was so much hope. We all loved at the end. I mean, she did made wonderful decisions to have the a lot of people over here will say African-American choir. I'm very sorry. It was actually uh, a British African choir. <laughs> okay, so or, or, right. or African British choir, I should say. But to sing loving, lovingly, um, you know, Stand By Me, it was gorgeous. I, I, cinematically, and you know I love film, I teach film, you couldn't have a more picturesque, beautiful day. And she looked gorgeous. And she has such style and she has such grace that she could have been the, you know, I think the number one asset for the royal family. I thought she was. And then it's all gone very sour. So evidently now the latest we hear that uh, at least the brothers are talking and um, she elected not to come on her doctor's orders, we're told, um, to to the funeral. Uh, she was seven months pregnant. I, I'm not sure that was the wisest decision, um, but we respect it because, after all, she's the one carrying her second baby. But um, the other thing she said, too, that her child didn't get a title. Well, no, Princess Anne's children don't have titles. Um, I mean, and, and that's even one more generation up. The people who get the titles are the direct line of the monarchy. Now, Archie will get a title when Prince Charles becomes king. Then he'll be a grandchild of the monarch, and then he'll be entitled to a title. But right now he's not entitled. And so I think a lot of us just, we looked at Harry. I mean, I just don't blame uh, uh, Meghan. I looked at Harry and I thought like, come on, Jack, you know this. Why aren't you speaking up? You know, uh, right. it, it was just really puzzling. It really was. So, um, Well, the, Alan... Let's finish this conversation about the royals on on the note that we started on, which was about Prince Philip, mm. who has passed away, yes. um, and which started this inquiry about the royal family. He's gone. What What do you think that means for Britain? It feels to me like the end of an era, uh, or perhaps the we're we're coming upon the end of an era. I think what you just said nails it. We're coming, coming upon on. It. We're coming on uh, the end of an era, and his mm -hmm. death marks that. When you look at the Queen, uh, again, in in uh, the Chapel of St. George, sitting by herself, it was very, mm -hmm. again, mm -hmm. cinematic. Here's his solo monarch who has not really ever made a wrong move, which is phenomenal. Uh, and there she is sitting by herself. She walks by... At the end of the service, she walks by where his casket has been lowered and she thinks to herself, most likely, I'm next. And she's worried not only about, I don't think she's worried about her demise. She's a very strong person of faith. But I think she's worried about the future, not only of the monarchy, but certainly of the Commonwealth nations. She's the queen of, of so many nations around the world that I think she's worried about what will happen with the next generations. So I think it's um, kind of a lament and an extremely sad moment. But we've got to be optimistic. And there's another part to the Queen which would say, come on now, come on, stiff upper lip, we're going to go on. You do what you have to do. And interestingly, even before the service, she continued, she resumed, I should say, she resumed with royal duties, which says a lot about her character. And I think, in contrast, I will have to say this, not to, I'm trying to be negative. I think to, as the British press put it and the Australian press, the whining of Harry and Meghan uh, when, come on, you're worth $100 million now and you've got a mansion in Santa Barbara. And look, you're going like, oh, I didn't feel safe and I don't, we don't like our lives and we don't feel this. In comparison to what the Queen's been through, in comparison to what Philip went through, as we discussed earlier, um, I think this is kind of like, come on, pick it up, get strong. I think that's the general attitude. Dr. Alan Campbell, thank you so much for joining me for Watching America today. I want to say that you are intelligent, witty, knowledgeable. Uh, you have a royal flair about you, and it's been an absolute <laughs> delight speaking with you. Well, Gina, I want to say that you are the best colleague I could have for this program, and you are not only a professional of the utmost stellar performance, but I'm also honored to call you my good friend. And I thank you for this time we've had together. Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. 
Wait, 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 Gina, look, look at the clock. Oh my goodness. We have time. Wow. For another segment with a special guest. Wow, yes. Let's do it. Right. Well, welcome back to the continuation of Watching America. I'm your host, Dr. Alan Campbell. And my guest, I am most happy to say, is Roberta Fiorito. For some time, Roberta has suffered from a most benign and delightful obsession. You see, she is completely royally obsessed. Now, although she is an American, she still has a, a never-ending interest in the British royal family. Moreover, she has a podcast entitled, appropriately enough, Royally Obsessed. Roberta is a branded content editor at Gallery Media Group and for Pure Wow. Now, Pure Wow is a woman's digital lifestyle site. She has a Master's of Business Administration from the Graduate School at NYU Stern School of Business. And prior to that, she received her BA from the University of Florida in Journalism. And so we are delighted to have her with us for the continuation of Watching America. I want to begin at the beginning, as they always say, um, and that is, how did you first become aware of the British royal family? Were you taken to Disney World and you saw Cinderella's castle or something and that started it all? How did it begin with you? I mean, yes, of course. And I want to say first, thank you for that very warm welcome. I don't think I've ever had such a wonderful well, introduction you are, you, you before are most in my life. You're most deserving of it, I can assure you. <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was a little girl going to Disney World. I grew up in Florida, actually, so it was very close. But um, really, for me, my royal obsession all started when my family moved to Scotland for a year. So my parents are professors, and they took a sabbatical over to the UK when I was seven years old. And, you know, at that age, I thought, wow, this is a completely different world. There's castles, there's, you know, all this stuff that I did kind of read in my storybooks and stuff. And so I think I was just blown away that it actually existed in real life. And we went to London a few times on the train uh, from Scotland. So I think that's where it all started. And, um, and then it really, it really was kicked into high gear when uh, Meghan Markle entered the scene. I think, you know, having an American join the Royal family was just um, so incredible. And I had actually just started really covering the Royals a lot around that time. So it really all timed up perfectly. Well, I can imagine for a young girl going from, uh, indeed, from Florida, and I used to live in Florida, but let's say, face it, most of Florida is quite flat, to suddenly being in Scotland with glens and bends and uh, baronial architecture everywhere, and then down to and London, sheep. of course. And <laughs> sheep, sheep, yes. Yeah. So let me just ask you, uh, as far as the wedding was concerned, okay, with Meghan and, and Harry, uh, we have gone into, I would say, two different chapters of association with them since then. Obviously, their move to Canada, which we discussed earlier in the show, incidentally, uh, and then um, to Los Angeles. And um, they are lightning rods of controversy, without question. What do you make of the situation? Yeah, so I think, um, you know, we have always covered both the Cambridges and the Sussexes and also the Queen and Charles and Camilla on the podcast. And so even when Harry and Meghan left for California, we still wanted to document their journey. Harry will always be, you know, the grandson of the queen, the son of Princess Diana. And so we definitely feel like we will always cover their journey as well, um, as well as the actual British royal family that's living in the UK still. So, um, but yeah, after the Oprah interview, I mean, I think we were all shocked and definitely thought, you know, my God, something needs to change. This is, these out accusations are kind of jaw dropping and, and um, what Megan said she experienced is really horrifying, but, you know, I loved, so I read this quote the other day from Vanity Fair editor-in-chief Radhika Jones, and she said, the people always ask her why Vanity Fair still covers the British royal family which is an institution that time has kind of wrought mostly symbolic or retrograde at best. Um, but 
that symbolic power still carries a lot of weight in this world. We've seen that in the crown. We've seen that in the attention that the Oprah interview got. So I do think that, you know, she has a point. It's all eyes on these people right now. And Rachel and I are both journalists where you mentioned my journalism background. We're documenting their every move and the Royals have never been more in the spotlight. So I think you know, we are witnessing a changing of the guard at this point with Prince Philip's passing. Obviously, we don't ever want anything bad to happen to the queen, but we do have a major role in documenting that change. And so I think it's it's a really exciting time to still be watching the royals. It is definitely an exciting time, but there's no disputing that uh, certainly the, the ha- Harry and Meghan thing has spilled over, obviously, amongst the Commonwealth nations as well. You know, uh, certainly Canada and Australia. And the whole issue of uh, consequence for taking a side one, one way or the other. Is your, as far as um, interpretation of events, whether or not they're fibbing, to put it nicely, or telling indeed the truth, or as Oprah would say, having their own truth, um, as far as your audience is concerned for your podcast, is it a 50-50 split? Uh, are people you know, vying for dominance and saying, no, this is the reality? What, what is your audience thinking? Oh, gosh, it's so hard to say. And, you know, it is it can be really messy in royal um, fan groups, which is why I try not to look too much at the comment section of a lot of um, the royal fan accounts, because, you know, I think even Megan mentioned it in the Oprah interview. She said, you don't have to pick a side of Kate or me. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Um, but, you know, unfortunately, the truth is a lot of people do. I'm, I'm not really sure what our audience split is, but we do get positive feedback about our Sussex coverage and Cambridge coverage. So I would think hopefully I mean, I think that a lot of people feel the way I do, which is that you don't have to pick one or the other, hopefully. OK, um, I, I just I'm just going to go into dangerous waters, my dear, because I think you can okay. take it. OK, uh, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Watching America. And I have the delight of speaking with Roberta Fiorito, and she is a co-host and producer of a very successful um, webcast called Royally Obsessed. Um, well, indeed, people are, are, are certainly uh, invested, sometimes uh, extremely emotionally, even with with the royal family. But with the with the. Megan and Harry thing. Uh, there was also fallout in Britain, for instance. As you know, Piers Morgan on Good Morning Britain uh, had a toss on a Russell, and at one point it was said that he left, and then another point they said he actually was fired because he had the temerity to say he didn't agree with Megan or a belief a fact what she said. And then we had Cheryl Osborne who defended Piers. Morgan in the United States, and she lost her job, even though to a nice check of $13 million. <laughs> I wish I could lose my job here and just get $3 million. That would be fine. Um, right? Uh, what, what do you make of this? Do you mm-hmm. think this will eventually settle? What do you think the outcome is going to be? You know, it's interesting. Um, and I'm glad you asked this because I do think it, it kind of is a little bit of a culture clash in a way. <laughs> For us Americans, we don't have those taxpayer ties. So really, Harry and Meghan are celebrities to us. And, you know, granted, they're mega celebrities. I would say that that they're on like kind of another tier because of the royal aspect. But we do love them as celebrities. Um, And with British coverage of them, it does feel like uh, the Brits see them as forsaking their duty and going for more of the money-making route. Um, Us Americans see that there's really nothing wrong with that. You know, why shouldn't they carve a better path for themselves? The celebrity response over here in the U.S. alone for support of the Sussexes, and especially for Megan, has kind of been staggering. And I think, um, you know, we've seen celebrities like Chrissy Teigen come to the forefront. Mina Harris have spoken up on her behalf. Um, So I do think that kind of speaks to the general overall feeling here. You know, the tabloids, though, I think that they're always going to have a little bit of a a bone to pick with them, it seems, unfortunately. Well, I'm very interested in you as well, Roberta, as a person, as as a British royal enthusiast. Now, if we were to go into your home, would we see coronation wear everywhere? Uh, would we see um, Her Majesty uh, hung on the wall, her, her, her image? Um, are there Union Jacks all over the place? On, on your Christmas tree, do you have little models of Buckingham Palace? What's it like? 
Yeah, so my entire closet is filled with fascinators. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I would love that though. <laughs> I mean, that sounds amazing. Um, I do have I do have a stack of royal books on my desk. Um, and I do have a, an illustration of Diana um, from an artist that I follow and really love on social media. So a few things, not not uh, the Union Jack wallpaper in the bathroom, but I feel like that's uh, if I could convince my boyfriend, I think he, <laughs> that would be my next thing. <laughs> have you ever dreamt about them? I, I've met many Americans who tell me that they, they're fascinated with the royal family. And, you know, our minds can go out in ropes all over the place as we sleep. Have you ever dreamt that you were uh, at Windsor or something or, or a royalty yourself? Never that I have been royalty myself, but I, it's actually funny. I, I have dreamt of, of meeting them and, um, yeah, I've dreamt of meeting Megan and it was funny. My boyfriend woke up today and said that he had a dream that I did meet. And it's probably because I talk about them so much that <laughs> poor thing, anyone who lives with me is going to also have dreams about the Royals, which is just an unfortunate um, symptom of, I guess, being uh, in contact with me. But yeah, he said he had a dream that I met Megan and I somehow she lost her phone and I had it. And so, yeah, it was just um, well, that's, that, a, that's uh, just my whole family, I think, has has uh, can't stay away from it. Well, I, I think that's lovely. I mean, and, and I, I'm a great believer in things can happen. That there is magic in life. So you may, in fact, I mean, you're in the right country now, aren't you? So um, right. you may may, in fact, run into her. And who knows, somebody may bring your program to her attention or perhaps Harry, which would be quite a lovely along the way. Um, I would like to know, as far as the royals are concerned, do you have a favorite besides Megan? Um, you know, I, I think joining the podcast last year and becoming co-host with Rachel, I have learned a lot about Princess Diana and I find her story really fascinating. I think a lot of people have felt that way this year with the crown season four, kind of covering finally mm -hmm. her story. And so I would say Princess Diana, I mean, I think she was, you know, a free thinker and she, I love her fashion. I love, um, you know, I, I loved her story in, in the crown as well. It's very sad, but I do think that she was kind of, um, you know, she was kind of an outsider that came into the British Royal family. And, and I think it's so interesting. So I, I think Diana. Well, there was a lot of, you know, emphasis on Charles, obviously. I mean, he was always in love with Camilla and uh, had the relationship prior to meeting Diana. Uh, but, there was this expectation, as I'm sure you're very much aware of in the royal family, that we've got to have somebody who's young and a right choice for the future heir of, mm -hmm. uh, of, of the royal family and of the British Empire. And uh, I think they were both almost victimised in a sense. Would you agree with that or do you have a different take on it? I think... You mean, are Charles and Diana both victims? Or? Yeah, I mean, I think Charles was pushed into something he didn't want to do and I think he felt as though he couldn't say two persons. No, I'm, I'm very sorry. I don't want to marry her. I'd rather be with Camilla, who at that time was married already. I guess the better expression might be victims of circumstance. What do you think about that? Yeah, I think in in some ways that does ring true. From what I know, it seems like, and I'm sure other people have used this term, that it was just a misalliance from the start. They mm -hmm. should have never been together. They were such different people in such different stages of life. Um, so in that sense, Yes, I do think, though, you know, Charles always had a problem that he was not nearly as popular as Diana. Mm. And, you know, we can see that from history play out kind of again and again. And so um, there's that Australia tour. There's, you know, they're walking down the streets and and on the people on Charles's side waiting to see them kind of like are groaning and the people on Diana's side of the street who just happened to be on that side of the street are yelling with excitement. So, you know, we do kind of see that and, and he probably could have handled things a lot better. You know, um, I think in the end, Diana really was, uh, it, it was a tragedy for her. And um, but it was definitely a misalliance, in my opinion. Well, there were you're quite right, Roberta. There were very many awkward moments. For instance, uh, it may have been in Japan. I don't recall, but um, evidently Prince Charles, I remember, used to play the cello, at least to some degree. And they were at a musical mm -hmm. academy. And so the host presented cello to uh, his royal highness. 
And so he takes the bow and he really can't make uh, any suitable sound out of it. It's not, it doesn't sound very oh, nice. Gosh. And he goes, I'm very, very sorry. I don't think I'm in the mood to do it or something like that. And then Diana immediately gets up, bolts up over to a piano and starts to play. And he's like, uh, you don't show up the uh, the prince. You're not supposed to do that, my love. But uh, evidently he I mean, he if we're talking about showing up, I I would think that uh, the first thing that comes to my mind is her dance to Uptown Girl by Billy Joel for yes. a surprise for Prince Charles at Christmas and how he did not uh, he did not receive that warmly. I don't think. Yes, yes. So since getting involved with the, uh, with your co-host uh, in in doing this this weekly show, what has surprised you the most? Have you ever had something that's been brought up that has absolutely perhaps freaked you out? Uh, have you had perhaps somebody who might be slightly delusional who think they're members of the royal family, or somebody who thinks that the uh, royal family is channeling some secret message to the world and has some conspiratorial theory. Have you encountered anyone like that? <laughs> no one like that, although that is re recently been in the news that um, someone is, is claiming that he's the long lost son of of Charles and Camilla. But no, no one, no one like that. I think what's surprised me the most actually is is really positively how how many people we've been able to interview on the show. So we actually talked to Princess Diana's biographer, Andrew Morton, recently. Yes, his book was great. Uh, we also had Tom Jennings on, who was the filmmaker behind that mm. pick, that documentary. Uh, and he described listening to the seven hours of tapes that Andrew Morton had secured for his book. And we only got to hear about an hour of those in the documentary. Yes, so yeah. there are six more hours of tapes that are yet to be kind of exposed. Um, and that was really interesting. And I loved hearing from him about that day. He flew to London for 36 hours to listen to the tapes. He got to listen to all the raw audio of it and said that the most surprising thing he learned from chat or from listening to these was how funny Diana was. And I think, you know, we don't hear that as much, but yes. that she really was she, kind of a um, comedian in her own right and had such a funny way of, of telling her story. She had a playful wit about her uh, mm -hmm. that w would come through. Well, you are an American, so I would never expect you to sing God Save Our Gracious Queen, but you might want to sing with me as we go out God Save The Gracious Queen. Is that is that acceptable to you as, a, as, a, as an American? Oh, sure. Yeah, that's okay. acceptable. All right. Well, Roberta, we've been speaking with you about your wonderful, wonderful podcast called Royally Obsessed. You don't want to miss it, folks. It's growing in great numbers, people responding. And unlike me, she can give you the American perspective. And also, um, I just want to say that it's been a delight to talk to you, Roberta, for this time. And uh, I hope that you'll join us again maybe sometime in the future when other events come about. We might give you a ringy dingy. I'd love to. Here we go. Ready? One, two, three. God save the gracious queen. <laughs> I think I went a little bit tenor for that one. I'm not sure. <laughs> Thank you so much. Take care and God Thank bless. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Allen. You've been listening to Watching America. Our theme music is provided by Razorlight. Our recording engineer is Todd Washburn. Our assistant producer, Jordan Christie. Gina Gamboni is our senior producer. Chuck Dowd is our executive producer. And Heather Mazzoni is chief of content. Bert Schmidt is our CEO. I'm watching America's creator and host, Dr. Alan Campbell. Until next time. Take care and blessings. Watching America is a production of WHRV Public Media in Norfolk, Virginia.